Hi, my name is Jim, and this is my church. Today, I will be reading from Psalm 1. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. Hey everybody, good morning and uh, welcome to Christ Community Chapel. Uh, really glad that you are here. Uh, there are a bunch of reasons why I love this church. You are one of those reasons. Uh, th uh, welcome those of you at our East service, those of you tuning in online, and of course those of you here in the West service. So last week we uh, finished up our four-week series on generosity. We talked about being generous with our forgiveness, with encouragement, with hospitality, with apologies. We called it the summer of generosity because we want to be thinking about being generous all the way through the summer. And one of the ways we want to help you do that is we, as you experience times where you are generous or times when someone is generous to you, we want you to write in that story. Uh, you can do it on our website. Uh, there's actually a QR code uh, in the back of the pew here in the sanctuary that you can scan. Or if you're in East, you can go to the sound booth. There are QR codes there, and that will take you to where you can record your story. Or you can go to ccchapel.com slash summer. We'd love to hear uh, what God is doing. I, I received this uh, last Sunday afternoon after the sermon on apologies. Uh, he said, hi, Joe, great message today and one I needed. I wanted to let you know that I took action and apologized to a former friend and colleague that I hadn't spoken to in over a decade. Amazing. We're texting back and forth as I write this, and we're going to get together soon. He accepted my apology and apologized for his role in the situation. Man, this is awesome. Thank you and praise God. Uh, I love that. I love that not just because he took the sermon and applied it. I love it because there, is a, there was a small, tiny fracture in the world that was healed. That means the world got a little bit better simply because he did that. And that's why we do the Breathe Out series. We want to take what God is doing inside of us and have it flow out of us to the people that God has in our lives. And by doing that, we make the world better. So write in your stories as you have them. We would love to hear them. All right. Today we kick off a new series. It's our Old Testament series. We're going to spend 10 weeks in uh, the Psalms. And it's going to be a great 10 weeks. The, the Psalms is a collection of 150 mostly prayers. And, be, and we, we have that in the Bible because God is a relational God. And he wants to relate to us no matter what is going on in our lives. And if you want to learn to relate to God, 
no matter what mood you're in, no matter what's going on, then the Psaltery, the Psalms, is the place to go. And we've created a couple of resources for you that I want you to take advantage of. The first is, is this. We created this booklet. It's called Praying Through the Psalms. Actually, Mike Halwerda uh, created this. Uh, he is actually hosting over in East right now. Uh, it's an amazing thing. It'll take you through all 150 Psalms. It will teach you how to pray like the psalmist. Do not leave this place without picking up one of these. Uh, it will really help. You can do one a day, two a day, whatever you want to do, but you can work your way through uh, the entire book of Psalms with this book. The other thing that we have is uh, what's called the Wonder Workbook, a kid's guide to the Psalms. Our kids team put together this, and uh, I am always amazed at what our kids team, what our teams put together. But if you have kids or grandkids, grab one of these. It will help you teach your kids or your grandkids how to pray. You can get one of these either down in the kids area, if you haven't picked up one already, or in the next steps area. All right? Okay. We are uh, starting off with Psalm 1. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn to Psalm 1. If you're not familiar with the Bible, you can just open it up right in the middle, and you'll be very close to the Psalms. Uh, if you're going to use one of our Bibles, either in the sanctuary, in the pews, or over in the back of East Hall, it's on page 418, page 418. And if you don't have a Bible, please go to the Next Steps area. It would be our great pleasure and privilege to give you a Bible. All right. Uh, psalm 1 is a great psalm, and it kind of encapsulates all the other psalms that we are going to be looking at. I'm calling this psalm a prayer for obedience, a prayer for obedience. And I might, here are my three points that I want to pull out of Psalm 1. I want to talk about the promise, the key, and the secret. The promise of obedience, the key to obedience, and the secret of praying for obedience. All right, first, the promise of obedience. Obedience is not a fun word. It's not a, like a positive word. Like none of you have come in here and you hear that I'm going to speak, uh, give a whole sermon on obedience. Nobody's going, yes, finally, that's what I need. I need to hear about obedience. But look at what the psalmist says. He says this, blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. The psalmist starts out by saying, blessed is the man. That word blessed in the Old Testament means someone who is content, someone who is satisfied, someone who is full of joy, someone is, who is happy. And of course, the question is, are you happy? I mean, really? Do the people around you, the people who know you best, would they describe you as somebody who is content and satisfied, full of joy and happy? The psalmist starts out by saying that it's possible for an adult human being to be happy. And that's astounding. You know, I say an adult human being because you watch kids, a lot of Children seem like they are happy, but happiness seems like it becomes more elusive the older we get, and there are a couple of reasons for that. 
One of the mistakes we make with happiness is we connect happiness with things that are going on outside of us, with externals. And we think that that's why we're happy or not happy. But the psalmist says that, that a blessed man is like a, a tree planted by the waters. And it seems like happiness is something that comes inside, that is inside, not outside. He doesn't talk about the weather that's happening on the outside. And the problem with connecting happiness to externals is twofold. One is you could connect your happiness to things that you think would make you happy if you ever got them. Like you think it would make you happy if you had the perfect job, or if you were married, or if you had a a good family, or if you were financially secure, and it never happens to you. You never get those things. So you go your whole life and you say, the reason I'm not happy is because I never got the things that I needed to be happy. That's one problem. But I said it's a twofold problem. The other problem you have if, you have, if you make happiness connected to external things, is that you actually get the things that you think will make you happy. And what happens is happiness diminishes over time with whatever you get. Right? And I, I tell you that, let me explain. I have a theory that I call uh, the theory of the pleasure spectrum. And my idea is that God made the world so that there's a wide range of things that can make a human being happy. You were born, there, were, there was a huge range of things that would bring you pleasure. And we spend our lives narrowing that down till fewer and fewer things will actually give us pleasure. And I, I first came up with this theory. I was driving my daughter, Rachel, to school. She was about 14. And I was driving in my Honda Accord, which I'd had for a while. And I said to her, I still remember where we were on the road. I said, I just decided to tell her. I said, hey, Rach, one of these days, this car is going to be yours. Right? And I looked over thinking she would just be glowing. Right? <laughs> and she didn't look happy. And I said, Rach, you don't look excited. What's wrong? And she said, well, Dad, I, I thought I'd get a nicer car. <laughs> and I... I thought to myself, this is my car. Do you really think I was going to give you a nicer car than my car, right? But I thought about it more, and I ended up saying to her, listen, Rach, I've done you a disservice. And she went, you know, what do I do something like that with my kids? They're like, oh, no. You know, this is my fault, Rach, because uh, you've already narrowed your, your spectrum of what would bring you pleasure has been narrowed already, and it shouldn't be, Right? I had to explain to her, you're really poor. Any car in the world should make you, should give you pleasure, right? And that's the problem. What happens, the more money we have, the fewer, the kind of, the fewer cars can actually make us happy. The, and it happens with everything. The more money you have, the fewer restaurants that you go to that will really bring you pleasure. The more money you have, the fewer houses would actually give you pleasure. So we spend our lives narrowing things down where if you have enough money, very few things in the world will bring you pleasure. God made it like that because the problem with happiness is not outside of you, it's inside of you. The other problem that we have with happiness is when we make it the goal of life. Happiness is always intended to be a byproduct 
not the goal. That's why the psalmist doesn't say, blessed is the man who hungers and thirsts after blessedness. Right? You, you go after happiness for happiness' sake, you will never get it. This, that's why, look at verse 4. He says, uh, the wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. You know, when it says wicked, you usually think of somebody who's very villainous, like Stalin or Hitler. That's not what it means. That word wicked is also translated ungodly. It really just means somebody who's trying to sink their roots into something other than God. And what the psalmist says is, if that's you, if you're looking to try to find happiness somewhere other than sinking your roots into God, which we'll get to in a minute, then you'll be like chaff that's blown by the wind. Chaff is the outer husk of grain, and the way they would separate the chaff from the grain is they would throw it up, and the wind would actually blow the chaff away because it was so light. So if happiness becomes your goal, you're going to jump from thing to thing, hoping that will be the secret. You, you probably know somebody like that. Right? You see them, and, and they're on cloud nine because they, they've just finally met the right person, or they finally got the perfect job, and then you see them a few months later, and they're back down. And they don't even remember what they said had made them happy because they've moved on to something else. Right? That's always a problem. And one of the things that you need to know, he says right up at the beginning, he says, uh, who doesn't listen to the counsel of the, of the wicked, the counsel of the ungodly, be careful who you're listening to. Like when somebody thinks, says that, oh, this is what you need to do. You know, I, I can't tell you how many times I've been counseling a couple in my office who uh, are thinking about divorce. And... Uh, one, one of them or the other of them will say, you know, I know God wants us to stay married, but I'm going to get a divorce because I need to be happy. And I always want to say, who are you listening to? And almost always they're listening to somebody at work or a neighbor or a friend who's not a Christian. That's the counsel of the ungodly. I want to say, what are you, what are you doing? The other, the other thing that you need to know is that you can actually use God uh, to make your, yourself happy, where happiness is your goal and God is the way that you get happiness. And if that's you, the way you find that out, that you're not really going to God for God, is when things aren't working out in your life and you end up saying to yourself, what was the point? Why, why would I follow God, why, what, what was the point of going to church all that time and you begin to kind of fade away because happiness was your goal and not God? But the psalmist says you can be happy. You can be blessed. You can be a person who's described as being satisfied and content and full of joy and happiness. But it's not something that's outside of you. It's something that happens inside of you. And that brings me to my second point, which is the key to obedience. The key to obedience. Look what it says, verse 3 and 4, it says, He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither, and all that he does he prospers. The wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. So, the ungodly are like chaff that blow around, but he says that there is somebody who is 
much more solid. The image is of a tree planted by the waters that's solid, that's stayed. That, and the reason that that tree is so solid is because it has sunk its roots into something substantial. And that's really what a Christian is. A Christian isn't a really good person. A Christian isn't somebody who goes to church. A Christian is somebody who has sunk their roots into God. And God is the sustenance of their lives. That God is what will give them real life. It's so easy to, to think that you are sinking your roots into God. But if the truth be known, your real life sustenance comes from your career or your children or your family, in which case you are sinking your roots into them. But the psalmist says, you need to sink your roots into God. And the question is, how do you do that? And the answer is obedience. You obey him. Now, I want you to uh, be careful. Don't uh, confuse obedience with agreement. You know, I always think when my kids were little, if I said to them, hey, let's go get ice cream, everybody out to the van, and they run out to the van, that's not obedience. That's agreement. Right? They're like, I agree with what dad wants to do. Right? But if I say to them, hey, kids, turn off the TV, go clean your room, and they go, ah, right? that's obedience. So you are never really obeying God unless it goes against what you really want to do. Right? Unless you can give me an example of when you, like the guy who did this, who said every fiber in his being probably didn't want to call that guy to apologize. He probably said, it's been 10 years. He'll, he won't remember, or it's not that big of a deal, or I don't want to do it. Why did he do it? Because God told him to. And the moment he obeyed, his roots went deeper. Every time you obey God, your roots go deeper. Every time God says, listen, this is the other thing. If you, if you think happy, if happiness is your goal, obedience to God is going to be very, very difficult. Because it's just a matter of time before God asks you to do something and you think, if I do that, I won't be happy. I mean, you think you believe in purity until moving in with your boyfriend or girlfriend is something that you think will make you happy, in which case you don't obey God. You do that. You think that honesty, that you believe in honesty until telling the truth may cost you what you think will make you happy. But every time God tells you something and you obey, every time God says, I want you to forgive this person in every fiber of your being says, I don't want to. Every time you go to God and you say, God, you know I don't want to do this, but you've asked me to do this and I will. I will do it because I want to obey you. Every time God says to you, I want you to give, and you say, but I, I don't want to give. I want to keep my money. I want to save. I, don't, I can't afford it. And God says to do it, and you do it, your roots grow deeper. And every time your roots grow deeper, you get more and more stable. You begin to draw more and more life out of God. The question is, why is it worth it? Why is it worth it? Well, what it says is uh, 
a tree planted by streams of water, right, who, who uh, bears its fruit in its season and whose leaf never withers. Like it goes through all the seasons. It doesn't say that this tree only has sunshine. It means that the root system is so strong that it can survive all the seasons. I always think that that's like a, a tree in Northeast Ohio. I mean, I, I have huge trees in my backyard. During a storm, I just watch them. And it's just astounding to me that they can weather any kind of storm. They just sway back and forth, but they don't fall. And they don't fall because their roots grow so deep and so strong and their leaf never withers like that. Um, I was reading through the book of Acts. And, you know, the book of Acts is the story of the disciples as they go and preach the gospel all over the place. And there's a story in Acts chapter 16 where Paul and Silas are preaching the gospel. They get arrested. They get arrested for preaching the gospel. And then it says they were beaten with rods. I can't even imagine being beaten with rods. But they're beaten with rods, and they don't say, God, I don't understand. I thought when we followed you, we would be happy, we would be taken care of, but here we are, we're beaten with rods for doing the right thing. That doesn't even cross their minds. They get beaten with rods, they're thrown in prison, put in stocks. And then it says around midnight, this is the verse, around midnight, uh, they were praying and singing hymns, and then it has this phrase, and all the other prisoners were listening. And in the margin of my Bible, I wrote, of course they were listening. Because who prays and sings hymns after they've been beaten with rods? Somebody whose leaf doesn't wither. Somebody whose roots have gone deep because of the way that they've listened and obeyed God. And then I was reading uh, 1 Peter. This is what Peter writes. I love this. This is verse 6 to 9. He says, In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary... You've been grieved by various trials so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. You hear what he's saying? He's saying you can be in distress. You can be being tried by fire and still have inexpressible and glorious joy. How? If your roots go deep. And the way you know your roots are going deep is every single time you obey God. Every time, your roots go a little bit deeper. And every time you disobey God, your roots stop. All right, if that's all true, then what's the secret of praying for obedience? This is what he says in verse 2. He says, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. You know, that's interesting. He says that uh, the secret is to meditate. I just said the prayer of obedience. You know, and 
there's two parts of prayer. I told you that God is relational. And in any kind of relationship, there, in a conversation, there are two parts. There's talking and there's listening. And when I think about praying, I almost always think about talking. Like if you ask me, did you pray this morning? I would immediately think about what I said to God. But conversation with God means praying and listening. And the psalmist says you listen to him by meditating on his word. Now, I want you to be careful here. Because I talk to people sometimes, and they uh, feel like they, they pray, and they listen for God, and then they think that God talks to them. And sometimes he might, but I'm always wary when somebody comes to me, and they say, God said to me this, and they tell me what God said to them. Because I, 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 don't, I don't worry about God. I worry about the person's antenna. <laughs> like, sometimes my antenna is not good when it comes to hearing God. That's why we have the Bible. That's why the psalmist doesn't say that. The psalmist doesn't say pray and then listen to whatever God tells you. The psalmist says meditate on his word, on his law, so you know what he says. Right? And this is why, and this is what I want to, I want to give you the image of this. Whoever starts a conversation has a lot of power over the conversation. If I am out in the atrium and you come up to me and I say to you, Hey, it's been a beautiful last few days. How have you spent these last few days? Have you enjoyed the weather? Right? I start the conversation. You will have to follow that conversation. You will probably respond by telling me what you did or if you were inside, you didn't get to enjoy the weather, whatever. Right? It'll be very, it takes energy to switch the subjects of a conversation once it started like that. If you want to talk about, let's say you want to talk about politics, but I say to you, hey, how have you enjoyed the weather? It's hard for you to go, hey, what do you think about Tim Scott running for president? I would go, weird response, right? <laughs> weird way to come back. I think that's the way we are with God sometimes. God wants to say something, but we're too busy talking and we're controlling the conversation. The psalmist says, Meditate. Read. That's why the Bible is so important. That's why if you're not, if you, so many people, if I talk to them, they'll say, and I say, tell me about your relationship with God. They'll say, well, I pray. I pray all the time. I say, do you read the Bible much? You know, I don't take much time, to, but I pray. And I'm going, you, what you're doing is saying, I'm, I, I talk to him all the time. It's a one, I just talk. And what the psalmist says, you want your roots to go deep? You need to listen. And you listen through this word. Right? So that's what I want you to do. That's why we created this, because this will help you, all 150 psalms, to listen and see what God wants you to do. The psalmist is giving us pure gold here. The psalmist is saying this, listen, do you want to be happy? Do you want to be full of joy? Do you want to be content? Do you want to be solid? Do you want to be able to survive whatever life throws at you and still have joy? The psalmist says, I can tell you how. I can tell you how to drive your roots deeper into God. And what he says is, what I want you to do is listen for him to speak. Read the Bible. Meditate on it. And when he speaks to you, obey him. And every time you obey him, your roots will go deeper. And if you obey him enough... 
(laughs) then you will be like a tree planted by streams of water who yields its fruit in its season and whose leaf never withers. Let's be that. Let's be that. Would you pray with me? Uh, Father in heaven, I come to you and I am, uh, I am grateful for uh, the Psalms, all of them. Because I hardly know uh, how to pray on my own, but you teach us to pray. And then you speak to us through your word. I pray that you would help every uh, one of us here to not focus on the externals when we think about trying to be happy. We won't go after happiness for happiness sake, but let it be a product of seeking you of driving our roots deep in you. I pray, I pray this. I pray that you would give every single one of us an opportunity to obey you this week. That you will tell us to do something that we desperately don't want to do. But we will do it because we want to obey you and we want to drive our roots deeper into you so that we can have life and have it more abundantly. Thanks. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.